God is good. All the time. I spent some time over the Thanksgiving break just thinking. I think the day after Thanksgiving, if I were recording my steps, I might have taken three. I cannot recall a day in my life I've been less productive. It was awesome. But I have been thinking. You know, it's been a rough few years in America by any measure. We have a sharply divided country. Culture wars that just won't quit. I don't know about you, but it's kind of hard for me to tell what's demonic and what's just stupid. We can't seem to recover from a global pandemic. Every night it seems I see videos of urban crime sprees. We've had riots in the streets and at the Capitol. Rampant inflation. Stocks and bonds for maybe the first time ever decided to take up synchronized diving and both took a dive last year. We have the invasion of the Ukraine by Russia. Cold War brewing in China. A southern border crisis. And now there's a war in Israel. The jagged emergence of AI. National labor strikes. Fentanyl killing our kids. Mass shootings that don't seem to want to stop. And right when you think it couldn't get worse, a presidential election cycle ramping back up. It's like the end times on steroids. I suspect the new normals, whatever we have now. And sometimes it's easy to think it's all getting worse by the day. And in my worst moments, that's how I feel. But in my best moments, I feel quite differently. You see, I think it's easy to ask, is there any hope for us? And then I am reminded of the words of Jesus, who said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are you when your world is blown apart, for you, acute, you are acutely aware of your need for God. Blessed are you when you feel like you have no control whatsoever, because you will not be tempted by the illusion of control. I don't know about you, but I've never been so aware in my whole life that apart from God, we do not have a chance and yet, even in the midst of these troubling times in which we live, Jesus reminds us this Thanksgiving in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you. And not just blessed backwards. Not just blessed concerning things past, but blessed are you now. And blessed are you as you walk into the future. Yeah. Things might get worse. Sure is easy to see how they could. But I need to tell you this, when the dust all settles, when the smoke clears, Jesus will reign on the throne. And if we're on his side, we're on the right side. So let's get our bearings and take a walk today, because I've got to tell you, I wasn't quite ready for Christmas. How's that for a good, honest response? Everybody's kind of rushing into Christmas, and I'm not quite ready to do that yet. I, I got a little Thanksgiving left in me. I got a little thinking around Thanksgiving I want to share with you. 
So let's not get in too big a hurry. Let's take a walk with Yeshua Nazareth, as he would have been called in the Aramaic of his time. Let's walk through an unlikely place. Verse 11, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. You know, it's really strange. There are places in the Old Testament that happened hundreds of years before that we can almost date to the month, and we don't know exactly what year Jesus was born. It's somewhere between 25 and 30 AD, Rome ruled the world, we do know that. What the Romans called Palestine, what we call Israel, roughly extended from the Mediterranean Sea and ran parallel to the Sea of Galilee and then the Jordan River. It was the furthest, most eastern outpost of the Roman Empire. And from their vantage point, you could think of it as the wild, wild east. Dividing Israel was Judea to the south with Jerusalem as a capital. Galilee to the north and caught in the middle, stuck in the middle, was Samaria. Literally between the rocks in Galilee and the hard place on which the temple was built in Jerusalem. In our passage, Jesus and the disciples are pushing south from Galilee, where Jesus conducted most of his ministry toward Jerusalem, which was the beating heart of Judaism. It's about 110 miles as the crow flies, and it takes you through some rough terrain. I've been there a whole lot of times. It would have taken them days. It takes about three hours. Me, three and a half, because there's a place I like to stop for coffee. In Jesus' time, you're walking for days. But you would get to choose between routes. The most popular was to reverse the eastern side of the Jordan River, ford the river moving west to Jericho, near where Jesus was baptized. And if you've been with me on a pilgrimage, the southern place where we remember our baptisms near that spot, Jericho, people climbed 3,300 feet in elevation on their final day's trip. You always go up to Jerusalem, and they enter from the east. But there was another option, and a lot of times it was a shorter option. You could go west through Nazareth, travel south through Samaria, and enter Jerusalem from the west. Normally speaking, the Jews in Jesus' time took the Jordan River route regardless of distance. And if you want to know why, it was pretty simple, because there were unresolved disputes going back hundreds of years. Imagine that in Israel. On this day, Jesus chose the road less traveled. He went through Samaritan country. Now, you need to understand the dynamics, and it's not hard to do today. The Samaritans were despised by their Jewish cousins in a feud going back to Nehemiah. If you remember, Jerusalem was sacked. The Babylonians took the best and brightest of Israel. And the folks they didn't figure would be of any help to them, they left behind. The exiles were in Babylon. The intelligentsia, the upper-end architects and artisans, the royal families, the people who were enfranchised, they're all in Babylon. And the people who were left were the leftovers. When Nehemiah finally comes back, the people in Israel have intermarried with other folks. The the pure faith 
The boundaries of it had been breached in, in many ways, and it was sort of a theological mess. But when Nehemiah came back, the people who were in the area said, we'd love to help build the temple. And the word they got was absolutely not. We don't need the help of people like you. So the Samaritans set up a parallel Judaism with its own holy mountain and its own worship center. And there were bad feelings. The kind of bad feelings you can only have with cousins and relatives. Not the kind of bad feelings you have with strangers. The Samaritans were, they considered the Jews to be usurpers. And the Jews didn't consider the Samaritans to be very much at all. The Jews did not like the Samaritans the way you disregard people as your lessers. The Samaritans didn't like the Jews in the ways you don't like people who think they're better than you. What could go wrong? Verse 12, as he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, have mercy on us. Dad and I have coffee at the McDonald's by the mall three or four days a week. It's an important thing for me to do. I've got a lot of friends whose dads aren't living anymore. They tell me they'd pay $10,000 to have a cup of coffee with their dad one more time. My dad's living, so we're going to have some coffee. When we're at that particular McDonald's, we often encounter people, and I would even say increasingly, encounter people who are just living on the edge of society. Sometimes they're calm, and sometimes they talk to themselves the entire breakfast. Sometimes they scream and yell. Sometimes we're approached, usually we're not. Jesus was approached with respect and humility by this group of ten alienated men who had nothing to offer Jesus whatsoever, nothing. They were pariahs through no fault of their own. They were understandably desperate. Nobody could help them. It's interesting to me, they do not ask for justice. They ask for mercy. We don't really want justice, do we? Do you really want justice for every horrible thing you've ever done? Really? They're Christ for mercy, not for justice. They were lepers. There was no more painful moniker in Jesus' world than being categorized a leper. The law of Moses had little tolerance for skin diseases. We know from our own journey through COVID what it means to be considered medically guilty until proven innocent. You remember in the worst of COVID? Paranoia is flying high. You're in a public place because you just have to be and you cough. You remember the looks people gave you? We were all medically guilty until proven innocent. Their greatest fear wasn't COVID. Their greatest fear was something we call Hansen's disease. Where soft tissue and even limbs rot off of people. And the ancients had no idea how you got it. No idea how it spread. 
Since they had no way to diagnose leprosy in its early ages, early stages, anybody with a skin disorder, from a temporary rash to psoriasis to rosacea, was assumed to have leprosy until you could prove otherwise. A couple years ago, I had this red thing show up on my face. Went to the doctor. Doctor looked at it, said, you have a red thing on your face. I said, well, should it be there? He goes, probably not. Is it a problem? Probably not. We're good. I got a red thing on my face. Back then, you had a red thing on your face? And the wrong person out there saw that red thing on your face? Started getting people riled up about that red thing on your face before long? People would be posting all over Facebook that you had leprosy. You know how it goes. There was human nature long before there was social media. As a result, suspected lepers could be banished to the extreme edges of society temporarily. And permanent lepers who actually had Hansen's disease, and some people did, they were forced to live in colonies. Shouldn't be lost on us that these ten men instinctively knew that despite their plight, they would be far better off in community than on their own. That's part of the reason church is important. I just want to say right now, you're far better off in community than you are on your own. Far better off. These men instinctively knew that. Now, when people approached the leper, the leper was required to offer a warning shout of unclean. So, the Bible doesn't give the distance, but from my research in history, if you're downwind and you're a healthy person and a leper was upwind, 50 yards is about what they gave you. And the leper would have to start shouting, unclean, unclean. Wouldn't that be great for self-esteem? And that just meant stay clear of me. I may or may not have leprosy, but there's suspicion of this. Since skin disease could hit people of any social economic status, frankly, suspicion of leprosy was an equalizer. It's kind of like when you go to the hospital. When you go to the hospital and you're in the parking lot, there can be a $100,000 car parked next to a $500 car that's held together with wire and Gorilla Tape. You watch people walk in from the parking lot of a hospital. Man, do people look different. That person that's getting out of that $100,000 car, guess what they look like? $100,000. That person getting out of that wired car with Gorilla Tape, they look like somebody driving a wired car with Gorilla Tape. Very few surprises. You ever go into ICU? I've spent a lot of time in ICU, particularly in my younger days as a pastor. People look very much the same in ICU. They're hooked to machines. Nobody's looking like $100,000. Doesn't matter what you drove. Doesn't matter how many zeros are in your bank account. Everybody in ICU is really, really sick. And they all look a whole lot more alike than they do different. Leprosy was an equalizer. This is a colony of 10 men whose lives had been taken from them. 
whether it would be permanent or temporary, was yet to be seen. These ten men would have been rich and poor, masters and slaves, nine Jews, one Samaritan, best we can tell. And none of that mattered now. It was the most important thing in the world before they got leprosy, and none of it mattered now. The lepers were asking Jesus to sozo them. Sozo could be translated heal, but it really means to heal physically, emotionally, spiritually. It means they wanted their lives back because nobody else could help them. And they thought maybe Jesus could. The ask is an act of faith. Always understand when you cry out to God for mercy, it's an act of faith. Always. You're assuming that there is a God. That God is able to act on your behalf. That God is benevolent towards you. They cry out to Jesus. Any prayer we sincerely pray from a disadvantaged place is always an appeal for mercy. Jesus looked at them and said, go show yourself to the priest. This is fascinating. He looks at them. They say, have mercy on us. They're clearly lepers. And Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priest. There are no prayers. There are no theatrics. There's not even a proclamation of healing. There is no drama whatsoever in this. Anybody old enough to remember the early 70s and the TV preachers and faith healers on TV? Come out. That kind of stuff. This isn't that. This isn't that at all. Jesus looks at them and says, go show yourself to the priests. And with his instruction, they have a choice, like I talked about last week. They can either obey Jesus or not. They can either go show themselves to the priests or not. It's all up to them. Why the priests? Priests were the gatekeepers of Jewish society. If these ten men were actually going to be healed by Jesus, and if they were to get their lives back, it would be through the gateway of the priests. The command of Jesus is go, report, show your clear skin, square up. That's what he asked them to do. And then the verse goes on and says, as they went. Say that with me, as they went. Let's try it again. As they went. As they went, they were cleansed of leprosy. As they went implies, had they not been obedient, the healing would not have come. How many times in our life do we say, God, heal me and I will follow you? That is not what Jesus asked. Jesus says, obey me and your healing will come. Can you imagine the wonder of these lepers at the healing that came with each step they took in obedience to Christ? I mean, you got to be real honest. If you had some signs of skin disorder and you could cover them up, you would. Right? So the only way people would get a visual at you is if you had something you couldn't cover up. So it's going to be on your hands or on your arms or on your legs or on your face. It's going to be somewhere that people can see and you can probably see. And every step they took, this was disappearing. The leprosy was being cleansed with every step that they took. They were receiving their healing a step at a time. And I bet you those steps got quicker and quicker and quicker. 
They had to be excited. They were on the edge of town anyway. I bet you they were at a dead sprint by the time they got to town. Of course they're in a hurry to get their lives back. Of course they are. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. Say that with me. Praise God. Let's say it one more time. Praise God. Let's say it like we mean it. Praise God. And he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he'd done. And the man was a Samaritan. Jesus always had the wrong heroes. Well, the nine others rushed ahead, understandably so. The Samaritan stopped in his tracks and he doubled back to offer thanks. The priest, his family, his formal restoration could wait. He had business to take care of. I felt very much like that about this week. You know, the, if you look at the retailers, they go from Halloween to Christmas, right? Because nobody's really figured out how to make a lot of money off of Thanksgiving. They just haven't figured it out. And I hope they never do. I had a friend talk to me this week. He grew up really rough. And he grew up in a really bad situation. He said, I always loved Thanksgiving and I always hated Christmas. I said, why? He said, on Thanksgiving we were all equal. He said, everybody ate the same things. And everybody looked like a family. And every Christmas I was reminded of everything we didn't have. In comparison to the people that do. There's something incredibly egalitarian about Thanksgiving. And we all know the commercialized American Christmas. You know, it's what it is. And there's a lot of beauty and wonder in it. And I'm going to point you to that all of the time. But we all know deep in our hearts, if, if we don't watch it, it's all going to turn into a materialistic piranha feed. And I guess this year... I wasn't in a huge hurry to get there. Somebody asked me on a pastor's page, I have, they, they asked the question, what are you going to preach this Sunday after Thanksgiving? And everybody gave the correct liturgical answers. And, and then all the non-liturgical people talked about their Christmas series. And I, I thought, I, I'm not ready to leave Thanksgiving yet. I just don't feel like I've taken care of all my Thanksgiving business yet this man stopped and he turned around and he went back and he yelled praise God and he fell to the ground and Jesus asked did not I heal ten men where are the other nine and the only one who came to give God glory was this foreigner are you all really catching this? Jesus doesn't say, think nothing of it, kid. Does he? He doesn't say it's no big deal. You didn't need to do that. We're good. He didn't say that at all. At all. Jesus clearly expected everyone he healed 
to come back and say thank you. And only one person did, and it was the least likely person in the whole group. In fact, Jesus seems a little irritated. I've changed a lot in the past handful of years. And one of the things I've decided I really don't want to do is get on Jesus' last nerve. You know what I'm talking about? I just don't want to get on Jesus' last nerve. Jesus is irritated here. He's done great things for 10 people. One, 10%, decide to loop back and say thanks. I don't want to be the nine. I want to be the one. I want to be the one. In verse 19, and Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. This is not a second healing of the same disease. This is Jesus stating what has already happened. You are healed. You are healed. When I think about this, I'm reminded that healing is often a process. We all want instantaneous healing, right? I mean, we all do. You know, whatever's going on inside of us, we would like Jesus just to make it all good. But sometimes healing, and I'm even going to argue most of the times, healing is a process. So let's take a look at this process, see what we can learn. Number one, there's recognition of a need. There's recognition of a need. These ten lepers are in a position to demand nothing from Jesus. The only thing he can ask for is mercy. They have a need. We've got needs, don't we? Some of you may have physical needs today. Some of you may have emotional needs, psychological needs, spiritual needs. Some of you may be hurting really badly today. And maybe like those lepers on the outskirts of town, you came today to cry out to Jesus, have mercy on me. The, the place to begin is, is to just admit we've got a need. Some of you have had bad stuff happen in your life. And some of it perhaps has been self-inflicted and some of it came through no fault of your own. But regardless of all that, we all stand in need. We all have a problem. Sometimes I watch the news and it gets over and I think, what is wrong with this world? And I don't know why, but Melissa reads all these dog rescue stories. People do horrible things to dogs. And she'll tell me about them. And I'll think, what's wrong with these people? And the answer is always the same. Sin is what's wrong with these people. Sin's what's wrong with all of us. And sin is a need we all share. We are all straight up sinners. And we all have a problem. It begins with recognition of a need. Number two is a petition for mercy. It's a petition for mercy. Lord, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. You, you do realize that's a prayer Jesus wants to hear from all of us. It's not a weak prayer. It's a strong prayer. Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount that when we cry out to God for mercy, 
and we realize we are not in control, but he is. We are in a wonderful theological position. When we're in bad shapes, when we get thinking we're all that in a bag of communion wafers, and the whole world owes us something. The world owes us nothing. And Jesus offers us everything. Number three, Jesus told him something to do. Wednesday night, as we were going through Colossians, I, I talked about how sometimes what Jesus asks us to do seems too easy. You know, we, we look at the bad things we've done in our lives and Jesus says, have faith that I can forgive you through my life, death, and resurrection and ask me to forgive you and I will. It seems too easy. You know, it would be better if Jesus said, you know, walk to Jerusalem and jog back. Then we say, oh, that, that seems appropriately hard. No, no, no. We're saved by faith in Christ. And all we have to do is be obedient. We don't need to overthink this thing. These ten lepers didn't sit there and overthink it. They just went at it. Why? They're desperate. Desperate enough to be obedient to Jesus. If you are desperate enough to be obedient to Jesus, you're in a good place right now. And number four, they were healed. They were healed. Healing doesn't always come as we'd like, right? But healing comes. Received a prayer stone this morning. Actually, I got four back this morning, and we haven't done that in a long, long time. If you're new, prayer stones are just, they, they're just reminders of something going on in your life that would be impossible without the power of God. And when you see the stone, it's just to remind people to say a prayer. And I ask folks that when God answers the prayer, please bring the stone back to me. And I got a stone. One of the stones I got returned this morning. Somebody had been praying for a loved one who was sick. And they received their ultimate healing. They were a person of faith and they went to be with Jesus. And they gave me that stone this morning because their prayer was answered. Prayer doesn't always, isn't always answered as we request. But it is always answered as God would have. At number five, they came back and they offered thanksgiving. He came back to say thank you. And number six, Jesus said, walk in your restoration. A lot of you just need to start walking in your restoration. Jesus has set you free. Your sin has been forgiven. Jesus has opened your prison cell. It's time to walk out of it. It's time to start living like somebody who's been set free. I seldom pray that God would bless America these days. I just don't know how much we have left to bless. I do love this country. And I pray for this country. I pray for our collective healing. And I pray for our restoration. I pray that God would forgive us of our sin. And I do not ask for justice. I pray for mercy. And I pray for the reign and rule of God. In the past couple of years, I've started praying something I never really prayed before. I've been praying that Jesus would come back quickly. In the Greek, they called it Maranatha, come quickly. 
Lord Jesus, it was a mantra of the early church. You know, when we take a moment to breathe, it doesn't take long to see. There's so much for which we should give thanks. There's so much. And not just Thanksgiving backward, but Thanksgiving now and Thanksgiving forward. 2022 was a horrific year for us. It was a year defined by the diagnosis of Melissa with a very aggressive form of cancer. A year ago, going into Thanksgiving, Melissa's the strongest person I've ever met. And she did not know that she would have the strength to have everyone over for Thanksgiving last year. And she didn't know if she would have another Thanksgiving. So she reached down and got it done. Christmas looked a lot like Thanksgiving. Holidays were rough last year. She was weak physically. There was chemo every couple of weeks. We were nearing the end of that. Our body had been broken down. There was surgery ahead. Radiation still to come. Let's face it, when they're treating cancer that's aggressive, they're trying to kill the cancer before they kill you. And at times it looked like it was a pretty close race. Throughout that journey, Melissa and I were changed. We made some very conscious decisions. The first decision is we decided that God is good no matter how this turns out. How's that? No matter how this turns out, God is good. We also determined that we were going to live our lives a day at a time. And we were going to take nothing for granted. Because today is all we had. And we began to live in the day. And to live in the moment. And we decided to live in gratitude. Not focused upon an uncertain future. But focused upon a very certain present. That Jesus had come. And lived and died and rose from the grave. That our sins were forgiven. That our eternity was sealed. That every good thing in life is a gift. And we were going to live in gratitude. Regardless. My Thanksgiving prayer paralleled the prayer of Jesus. Give us this day our daily bread. Because in those seasons, you're guaranteed nothing more or nothing less. When the future is uncertain, you begin to see that what you do have is a gift. And learning to give thanks for what's right in front of you. And to focus on what you have and not what you don't. The people who are there and not the people who aren't begins to change your life. Yeah, we celebrated Thanksgiving backward on Thursday. Thanksgiving for friends and family. I didn't eat turkey. 
We had a huge Thanksgiving breakfast and went to Cracker Barrel just like the pilgrims. And I fully intended to get turkey. And then I saw somebody with a plate of turkey. It looked quite tan. And I thought, I don't even, I'm not even sure I like turkey. So I got meatloaf. And it was awesome. But we had plenty to eat. I think about how much God has blessed us. I think about this life to which God has called me. And how grateful I am for it. How grateful I am for you. Do you know how few pastors in this world get to hang out with one congregation almost 30 years? It's a gift to me. I'm also thankful that in many, many ways, God has extended our life and given us our life back. What lies ahead for Melissa and me? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus lies ahead. And it's all good. She's in remission, and we are incredibly grateful. We are hoping for a complete cure. But we are acutely aware that unless Jesus returns, that we are all going to die of something. And I'm sorry if you had to hear it here first. We treasure the time that we've been given. We will never again take even a moment for granted. But my hope is bound to faith in eternity, not to time and space. Yeah, we're going to embrace what we have in front of us. Take nothing for granted. I hope your table's growing. I hope you're having children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. I hope you are blessed and your table just keeps getting bigger. I truly do. But I know for some of you that's not your reality. Some of you had an empty chair at your table this year. And it stared at you. And it hurt. Some of you have lives that are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And there's a feeling that your best days are all behind you. And you wonder if there's anything good left ahead. I want to encourage you during this holiday season. Lean into the people in your life. Talked to somebody this morning who was talking to me about someone in their family who probably won't be there next year. Make sure you take some time for those people. Put something in your things I'll never regret file during this season. Live life with no regrets. And if you can mend a fence, why not give it a shot? Why not? If you can forgive somebody, why not? And if you can find the courage to ask for your own forgiveness, why not? The one thing we all have in common is that we're all 
going to die one day. And after that, the Bible says, comes judgment. The one thing for which we all have to be thankful is no matter what happens in this world, our sins have been forgiven. And if you've invited Jesus into your life, you have nothing but good things ahead, regardless of what is in front of you in time and space. There's been no time in my life when I could more relate to a Samaritan leper who stopped in the rush of getting his life back because he needed to say thanks to Jesus. I needed to say thanks to Jesus today. Maybe you do too. Seems a right and a good thing to give thanks to Jesus today. I hope 2023 has been the best year of your life. And it may have been the worst year of your life. But I want to declare, we can always be thankful to God. Not just for thanksgiving backward, but for thanksgiving forward. Because the best is yet to come. For every single follower of Jesus Christ. Let us give thanks to the one who was born for us, who lived for us, died for us, rose for us, and will someday come back for us, that we may live forever with him. Some things you need, sometimes you just need to say some things before you rush into Christmas. Tell the people you love how much you love them. And most of all, tell Jesus how grateful you are that your sins have been forgiven and your eternity is sure. I was trying to think how to dismount this sermon today. Today's the last uh, day that we'll formally have people pledge to the capital campaign. If you've not done that previously, there's a couple of baskets here and at the top. Please use the baskets because the bowls have water in them. I thought a good way to end this service would be to remember our baptisms. I don't know of a better way to say thank you, Jesus, than just to stick your hand in the water. Just remember everything he's done and the promises that he's made and just say thank you, Jesus. So when we sing this final song, if you'd like to, if you've got something particular for which you want to offer thanks today, I'm just going to invite you to come up and put your hand in the water and just say thanks. The Bible says, Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. Life can be hard. Some of the time. But we serve a God who is good all of the time. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, bless this gift of water and all who receives it. Wash away our sin. And clothe us in righteousness. And we may become everything you've created us to be. Forgive us our sin. Forgive us the things that we do that we shouldn't. And the things that we should that we don't. And free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Jesus, you've died for every single person here and every single person in this world. We don't want to be like the nine. We want to be the one. The one who stops and turns around and falls at your feet to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And we pray it in your strong name. Amen. Remember your baptisms as you feel led. As I said, the baskets are here. Let's just worship God. I cannot think of a more appropriate way to say thanks.